Welcome to Sojourner Truth. Thank you for staying with us. This is your host, Margaret Prescott. On July 26, 1959, KPFK 90.7 FM went on the air. It was the second of what would eventually become five Pacifica stations. And Terry Drinkwater was the first general manager. KPFK has one of the most powerful radio transmitters in the Western U.S. And today, we mark the birthday of KPFK. Let us go to a clip now that actually was recorded in 2019 by Eric Garcetti, who was wishing KPFK a happy birthday back then. Let us go to that clip right now. I'm Mayor Eric Garcetti and I'm a proud KPFK listener. For six decades, KPFK's journalists, producers, hosts, and engineers have dedicated themselves to making extraordinary radio. Radio that is always powered by and for the people. Your work is more than a profession. It's a public service. The station continues to deliver the facts, give voice to the voiceless, and speak truth to power. Thank you, for 60 years of informing and inspiring people in Los Angeles and across the Southland. Eric Garcetti, that was three years ago. So today marks the 63rd birthday of KPFK. Pacifica Radio was born in 1949. KPFA went on the air then from Berkeley, California. Lewis Hill, a conscientious objector and a former Washington, D.C. newsman, he was fired from his mainstream reporting job when he refused to misrepresent facts related to World War II. Pacifica invented the model of listener-sponsored radio and is the oldest public radio network in the United States. Now, many people doubted the viability of a broadcast model that didn't rely on corporate sponsorship or government funding. But to Lou Hill, it was a compelling idea worth the try. And Pacifica has grown today. Pacifica flagship stations include KPFA in Berkeley, California, KPFK in Los Angeles, WBAI in New York, KPFT in Houston, Texas, WPFW in Washington, D.C. And Pacifica Radio opened its airwaves to some of the most important movements and people of the time and Pacifica continues to do so today. Voices heard on Pacifica Radio included the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, James Baldwin, Rosa Parks, Langston Hughes, Alan Watts, Paul Robeson, John Trudell, Noam Chomsky, Maya Angelou, Alice Walker, Akiri Kurosawa, Angela Davis, Leonard Cohen, Betty Friedan, Joni Mitchell, Joan Baez, and many more. Bob Dylan's first radio appearance was on Pacifica uh, Radio's New York station, WBAI, and the first in-depth U.S. interview with the late Hugo Chavez, who was president of the Bolivarian Republic of Venezuela, was jointly done by me, that's Margaret Prescott of Sojourner Truth, and Amy Goodman and Juan Gonzalez of 
Democracy Now. That was another historic moment there. And also during the kidnapping of Harris, um, Patty Hearst, by the Symbionese Liberation Army, a militant political organization, they sent daily communiques to KPFK and the FBI raided KPFK and the general manager at the time was arrested. All of this, by the way, played out on air. And when the actress Lena Horne was blacklisted, she regularly appeared on KPFK and indeed helped to promote uh, KPFK. So did the internationally known South African singer Miriam Makeba. There are numerous historic moments, by the way, all of which are captured and audio and are available in the Pacifica radio archives. We live in a global world. We're all interrelated. So on Sojourner Truth, we work to bring directly to you news and views on local, national and international policies and stories that affect us all. And we draw out how those of us most impacted women, communities of color and other communities are responding. We also discuss the interrelationship between art and politics. Now for our news headlines. For Pacifica Radio, I'm Christina Onestead. President Joe Biden criticized his predecessor for failing to try and stop the deadly January 6th mob attack on the Capitol, saying Donald Trump lacked the courage to act. He made the comments in a pre-recorded speech to the National Organization of Black Law Enforcement Executives annual conference in Florida. He remains in isolation at the White House after testing positive for COVID-19 last week. On January 6th, we relied on law enforcement to save our democracy. We saw what happened. The Capitol Police, the D.C. Metropolitan Police, other law enforcement agencies were attacked and assaulted before our very eyes, speared, sprayed, stomped on, brutalized, and lives were lost. And for three hours, the defeated former president of the United States watched it all happen. The brave women and men in blue all across this nation should never forget that. You can't be pro-insurrection and pro-cop. You can't be pro-insurrection and pro-democracy. You can't be pro-insurrection and pro-American. Biden had previously criticized Trump for helping to incite the deadly Capitol siege, but his comments Monday were the clearest link Biden has made between Trump and the insurrection since a special House committee investigating the attack on the Capitol began holding hearings in June. The former chief of staff to former Vice President Mike Pence has testified before a federal grand jury investigating the deadly assault on the Capitol. That's according to a person familiar with the matter who says Mark Short appeared before the grand jury under subpoena last week. Short was at the Capitol on the day of the siege and was with the vice president as he hid from Trump supporters who had called for his hanging. Former President Trump returns to Washington today for the first time since leaving office to deliver a policy speech tonight before allies who've been crafting an agenda for a second presidential bid. Trump will address the America First Policy Institute's two-day America First Agenda Summit, whereas right-wing conservative followers and lawmaker allies will be attending. Pope Francis has apologized for the Catholic Church's cooperation with Canada's catastrophic policy of indigenous residential schools. The pontiff says a forced assimilation of Native people into Christian society destroyed their cultures, severed their families, and marginalized generations in ways still being felt today. Canada's Truth and Reconciliation Commission calls it a cultural genocide. Francis spoke Monday on lands of four Cree nations south of Edmonton, Alberta. I myself 
myself wish to reaffirm this, with shame and unambiguously, humbly beg forgiveness for the evil committed by so many Christians against the indigenous peoples. More than 150,000 Native children in Canada were forced to attend government-funded Christian schools from the 19th century until the 1970s in an effort to isolate them from the influence of their culture. Ottawa has admitted physical and sexual abuse was rampant at the schools. Catholic orders operated 66 of the nation's 139 residential schools. European Union governments have agreed to ration natural gas this winter, reducing consumption 15 percent to protect against further supply cuts by Russia as it pursues its invasion of Ukraine. This comes as Russia's Gazprom says it will reduce supplies to the EU through the Nord Stream 1 pipeline, 20 percent of capacity. That's stoking EU concerns. Moscow will use gas trades to challenge European opposition to the war. Here's Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky. All this is done by Russia on purpose to make it as difficult as possible for Europeans to prepare for winter. And this is an open gas war that Russia is waging against a united Europe. This is precisely how it should be perceived. And they don't care what will happen to the people or how they will suffer, from hunger due to the blockading of ports or from winter cold and poverty or from occupation. These are just different forms of terror. EU energy ministers today announced a draft law meant to lower demand from August through March. If the voluntary measures don't reduce gas use, that will trigger a mandatory reduction across the 27-nation bloc. Russia's space chief says the nation will opt out of the International Space Station after the year 2024 and focus on building its own orbiting outpost. The Biden administration has joined the United Nations and human rights groups in condemning Myanmar's execution of four pro-democracy activists, including a former lawmaker Monday. The executions were carried out by the military junta that's taken control of the country. Eighteen congressional and cabinet agency staff members staged a sit-in at Senate leader Chuck Schumer's office Monday, demanding he and President Joe Biden take climate action. The group says six staffers were arrested. It comes after more than 125 staff members sent two letters to Schumer and Biden urging they take ambitious actions to address climate change and the president declare a climate emergency. Vice President Kamala Harris says Indiana's proposed abortion ban reflects a health care crisis in the United States. She met Monday with Democratic state lawmakers on the first day of a contentious special legislative session in Indiana that drew thousands to the state capitol in protest. I'm Christine Onestead reporting for Pacifica Radio. And this is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. And today is very special programming where we are marking the 63rd anniversary of KPFK 90.7 FM. KPFK was the second Pacifica station to go on the air. And today, um, Pacifica has grown from one station uh, back in 1949, KPFA in Berkeley, California, uh, to now include not only KPFK in Los Angeles, but WBAI in New York, KPFT in Houston, Texas, WPFW in Washington, D.C., and their loads of historic uh, moments on KPFK as well as on uh, Pacifica Radio. I mean, the voices, Pacifica Radio and KPFK, we tend to be way ahead of movements before they hit uh, the mainstream. Uh, to give a few examples of some of Pacifica's historic moments, and all of this includes, by the way, 
um, audio that was on the air also on KPFK. Um, in 1960 to 1963, the House Un-American Activities Committee and the Senate Internal Security Subcommittee investigated Pacifica's programming for quote-unquote subversion, sub Sub, uh, suspected writers include Bertolt Brecht, uh, Norman Cousins, uh, Dorothy Healy, W.E.B. Du Bois, among others. And then um, another historic uh, moment in this radio station's network in 1975, comedian George Carlin's Dirty Words You Can't Say on Television routine broadcast by WBAI in New York in 1973. That led to several years of First Amendment litigation, and it went all the way up to the U.S. Supreme court and Pacifica lost that case. Uh, and that means that there are some words that we today are not allowed to say on air. And also uh, Pacifica was the only news organization that was ready to break Seymour Hersh's story of the My Lai massacre during uh, Vietnam. Um, later, Hirsch won the Pulitzer Prize for exposing these atrocities. Also, um, Pacifica uh, were, was really captured the entire Winter Soldier hearings about the atrocities that happened uh, during uh, Vietnam. And by the way, that included um, John Kerry, uh, who gave testimony at the time, and also our sister station in Berkeley that went on air on 1970 was bombed off twice during its first year by the Ku Klux Klan that attacked its transmission uh, tower. And um, federal agents ultimately did make uh, an arrest and charged him with plotting to blow up KPFA and KPFK, as well as the KPFT uh, bombing. So a lot of history there. Today, we're going to be sharing some of that uh, with you. And we are happy to say that from the Pacifica Radio archives, the archives, uh, by the way, considered by historians and scholars to be one of the oldest and most important audio collections in the world, okay, um, we are going to share with you uh, some clips from the first dedication show of KPFK, the first dedication show. This was Tuesday, July 26, 1959. Let us go uh, to that clip right now. You'll hear the sound is uh, just a little bit different than it is right now. Let's go to that clip. KPFK, 90.7 megacycles, Los Angeles. Good evening. This is KPFK's dedicatory program. During the next hour and a half, you will hear samples of the station's broadcast schedule and an introduction to listener subscription radio. To open this dedicatory broadcast, 
Here, speaking for the civic leaders of the Southern California communities which KPFK will serve, is the mayor of the city of Los Angeles, Norris Polson. I'm happy to welcome station KPFK to Los Angeles. This unusual broadcast service without commercials will provide something new in the way of music, information, discussion, and intellectual stimulation. I'm happy to know that there are enough interested citizens who want to sponsor this nonprofit cultural venture who live in our community. This is another proof of the cultural maturity of Los Angeles. I shall be listening to KPFK myself, and I know thousands of others will do likewise. That was the mayor of the city of Los Angeles, Norris Polson. In a few moments, KPFK's broadcast schedule will be introduced. But now, here is the chairman of the Committee of Directors of Pacifica Foundation, which owns and operates KPFK, Dr. R. Gordon Agnew. As chairman of the board of Pacifica Foundation, I feel a profound significance in the establishment of KPFK in Southern California, the second listener-subscriber FM station founded and developed in the practical realization of the concepts underlying the origin and functions of the Pacifica Foundation. I share with a great number of Southern Californian citizens a deep satisfaction in the availability in this great center of population and of limitless potential of a medium of communication peculiarly capable of making a creative contribution to the life of this vast community. Communication in its philosophy and in its practice has achieved a status in the human community not less than that of a means of survival, not merely adjunctive, but basically essential. Korzybski <clears throat> and Hayakawa and others have stressed its semantic significance, binding not only the living with the living, but also binding past life with present life, and binding the present life with the future. And it is, I think, a tenable historical position to postulate that perhaps never in man's history has there been so great and so demanding a need for understanding, for the sharing of concepts and values, for reappraisal of man's experiences, of man's thoughts and feeling through the ages, and for venturesome exploration in the world of ideas? Such a need, I think, is not secondary or casual, not merely a desirable expansion of man's relationships and interests, Rather, I think it is a starkly serious necessity <clears throat> if man is to ensure his survival. Man's relatively sudden grasp of the art and science of manipulation of nature has put into his unsteady hand the means of fantastic devastation and destruction, tragically before he has achieved the maturity of heart and of mind to safely control these appalling forces. My recent revis revisiting of the Far East, after having spent many years there, has impressed upon me not so much the material progress of those countries, it's there, of course, but rather the apprehension, the fear and uncertainty, 
the misunderstandings between East and West, the lack of awareness on the part of all of us. Never have I been so burdened with the sense of almost desperate need of communication on the low levels and also on the highest levels. Now, could this be done by dictate, by propaganda, by conditioning, by fright and alarm, by the synthetic creation of hate and suspicion and distrust? Of course not. It can be done with adequacy only by thoughtful sharing of information, of knowledge, of ideas, and of values. And this must be on levels compatible with sound intellectual scholarship, with emotional stability, with an insatiable search for truth, with a willingness to present and to consider all sides of a problem, to hear all shades of opinion from right to left, with flexibility of mind and heart, and with a stern refusal of mass conformity and regimentation of thought. When such a search is available on the air, involving literature, politics, national and international problems, the arts and cultural pursuits, as in music and in so many forms, science, technology, with such freedom as is offered by a station which is unencumbered with commercial interests and confinements, then I think that community has indeed cause for satisfaction and for boundless expectation. Will this experience be clamorously sought by the mass of the population of any community? Of course not. As in all of the higher exercises of the human spirit, the response will come from the minority. For it is from minorities that the great creative urges and impulses of restless man arise. And it is from the thought and feeling and travail of the minorities that mankind moves forward. Southern California has, in a multitude of ways, added much to our state and national life. I have no doubt that in the years ahead, its distinctive and creative impact on human society will be enhanced by the work of KPFK through the provocative impact of ideas and through the beauty and uplift of artistic expression. All righty, and Dr. those R. are Gordon words Agnew, chairman of the, the those are words from the first uh, program, the KPFK dedication show. And we are marking KPFK's birthday today, 63rd birthday, July 26, 2022. And by the way, for those of you who want to continue to support KPFK, you can go to kpfk.org and for 63 years, how about gifting KPFK $63 or more? Perhaps you can give $630 or $6,300 or any amount. Just become a regular subs subscriber. That is at kpfk.org. This is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. And now we're going to return to the KPFK dedication show and we're going to hear the voice of KPFK's first general manager, Terry Drinkwater. 
To continue, here is Terrell T. Drinkwater, Vice President of Pacifica Foundation and General Manager of KPFK. Thank you. I know, too, the staff joins me in welcoming you as KPFK's first listeners and many of you as the station's charter subscribers. What we will try to do in the 12 hours of each day KPFK is on the air, to me, seems startlingly simple. We will do what the other radio and television stations do not and really cannot do. An ordinary broadcast station must appeal to the largest possible audience in order to attract the commercial sponsor. Thus, the programs are limited to the most general cultural denominator. But KPFK doesn't have to attract the largest possible audience. Our programs will be of specialized interest and appeal. Probably very few of you will want to listen to everything the station broadcasts. You will want to be as selective as we are, as we will hope to be, in the choosing of programs of concern to you. This is what our program folio is for. I think that KPFK will appeal to the discriminating listener enough of the time with the particular kind of program that he wants to hear in order to motivate him to subscribe. The news of KPFK's coming on the air has already brought the station 2,000 charter subscribers. Thus, it seems reasonable to expect that many thousands more will soon be enrolled. For this reason, I feel that KPFK has an opportunity to be of almost limitless service to the Southern California community. In many ways, the biggest job is over. The station is built and most of it paid for because of the generosity of many, many Southern Californians. KPFK's facilities are the best of any FM station in the area. Our transmitter is located on Mount Wilson, itself more than 5,000 feet above the average terrain in Southern California. KPFK is the most powerful FM station with 75,000 watts. The transmitting tower and antenna are also the highest of any FM station located there on Mount Wilson. KPFK's programs will be heard loud and clear from south of San Diego to north of Santa Barbara and up the San Joaquin Valley beyond Bakersfield. And my special congratulations to Steve Hawes, KPFK's chief engineer, and Erwin Goldsmith, Pacifica Foundation's chief engineer, for the magnificent job they have done in building and installing the equipment on Mount Wilson and here in our studios. During this dedicatory broadcast, for the next hour or so, we are going to introduce some of the station's programs to you, KPFK's first listeners. As a matter of fact, we are always going to let KPFK's programs speak for themselves and for subscriptions. However, if I may, I'd like to invite you to write for a sample copy of the station's first program folio, which we will mail to you. The address of the station is 5636 Melrose Avenue, Los Angeles 38. Now it will be my pleasure to join with Thomas Price in a few brief sentences of narration in order to identify the program samples which we offer now during this dedicatory broadcast. All righty, and that was Terry Drinkwater, the first general manager of KPFK. This is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth, and we are celebrating KPFK's 63rd birthday today, the second in the Pacifica uh, radio network, the first being um, KPFA way back in 1949, KPFK uh, 10 years later on July uh, 26. 
6, 1959. We're going to take a, a short uh, station break. And when we return, we are going to continue with more special KPFK birthday coverage. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Just how much we love you And I'm sure you would agree What could fit more perfectly Than to have a world party On the day you came to be Happy birthday to you Happy birthday to you Happy birthday Happy birthday to you Happy birthday to you Happy birthday And that we are adapting the Stevie Wonder happy birthday song that was done, of course, for the Martin Luther King holiday to mark KPFK's 63rd birthday. That is today, July 26, 2022. This is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. If you're a member of Facebook, you can like and friend us on Facebook. Just look for Sojourner Truth with Margaret Prescott, our handle on Instagram and Twitter at so true radio we're also heard nationwide and worldwide on soundcloud and today we'd like to give a shout out to our soundcloud listeners throughout um the state of california throughout california and internationally we would like to give a shout out to our soundcloud uh listeners in the occupied territories of uh, palestine uh, this is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth, and this is a special marking KPFK's 63rd birthday. And we're now going to continue to bring you some of the sound from KPFK's first dedication show, the first show that was heard on KPFK. By the way, in the previous clip, you heard the general manager at the time, uh, Terry Drinkwater, give the KPFK address as being on Melrose Avenue in Los Angeles. Clearly, that is not the case right now. This is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. Let us return now um, to a clip from KPFK's first show on the air, the dedication show. In it, um, you'll hear um, them discuss what public affairs programming is about on KPFK. And you will also hear part of an interview done by a KPFK reporter um, with a reporter from the New York Times. Let's go to that clip now. Also primary among the public affairs broadcasts are various interviews in our studios and throughout Los Angeles. Here is one just recorded and scheduled. Jean Marine interviews the Attorney General of the State of California, Stanley Mosk. Uh, many years ago, Justice Frankfurter, in a celebrated case, uh, decrying the suggestion that a person is to be relieved of his responsibility because of the uh, of uh, perhaps illegal police activity said, thus it's contended, said Justice Frankfurter, that uh, we are to release one lawbreaker because he's been pursued by another lawbreaker. Uh, in other words, uh, you're, you're, you compound the wrong if you say, well, we're not going to uh, be concerned with um, uh, illegal activities because there's a possibility that the police may engage in some illegal activity too. Uh, both of them are wrong, and both of them ought to be censured. Uh, can you remember any recent case in California where a 
a court has directed criminal action against a policeman for illegal activity? Oh, yes. Earl Kynett uh, spent uh, about 15 years in uh, prison in San Quentin for illegal activity during the uh, halcyon days of uh, Mayor Shaw. That was, that was quite a while ago. Not to, not to date you, but uh, yeah. uh, that how, was, at least it was not since the Cahan decision. Well, uh, and then uh, two, the uh, group of police officers in that bloody Christmas episode a few years ago were rather severely disciplined. Uh, there was an incident in the police sub in the sheriff's substation in Firestone Park, um, uh, where the officers were severely disciplined, removed from the force, and punished. Uh, uh, I'm sure that uh, there are instances where officers go unpunished, and uh, we have to uh, face the fact that. Uh, they're dealing with a rather seamy side of life uh, most of the time, and uh, they're engaged in a rather hazardous uh, uh, occupation. But if they stray, uh, they should be punished too. I recall uh, trying myself in the Superior Court in Santa Monica, a group of West Los Angeles officers who uh, thought they were immune from the uh, criminal uh, statutes by uh, committing burglaries while on duty. And we hope daytime programming on KPFK in the public affairs field will be just as exciting as those broadcasts scheduled during the evening hours. For example, the Press and the People series will be presented every Monday at 2.30 on the station. Right, the press and the people. And I'll be here uh, in that clip from the first dedication show of KPFK. And... Uh, describing a little bit about what the new listeners, and by the way, the listenership began with 2,000 subscribers, 2,000 subscribers back in 1955. And um, you heard about the show called The Press and the People, and they said it was going to be uh, every Monday. And also, interestingly enough, there was a discussion about police illegality. Well, some things never change, but uh, I'm sure KPFK was unique in giving that type of interview and reporting on uh, police illegality back at that time. This is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth, and bringing you some samples of the work of KPFK of the Pacifica Radio Network on this, the 63rd birthday of KPFK. Uh, now, uh, one of the historic moments that was actually captured on air was during the time of the Symbionese Liberation Army. Now, some of you may be too young to remember um, the United Federated Forces of the Symbionese Liberation Army, known as the SLA. Uh, they were considered um, by the FBI and law enforcement to be, quote unquote, a terrorist organization. They were, um, uh, they were a political organization, and they thought of themselves as a kind of a vanguard of a movement against um, racism, for economic justice, etc. And, you know, they, they really took it to the extreme of uh, kidnapping um, the um, Patty Hearst, 
who was very, very wealthy, um, connected to the Hearst family, um, which was a media uh, conglomerate, really. And uh, she was kidnapped, um, it is reported, in Berkeley, California, by the SLA. She was 19 years old. But it was huge national and international news at the time, included Patty Hearst would record um, these communiques uh, where she gave messages to her family or whatever, um, uh, you know, and in those recordings, she was quote unquote, showing sympathy for her kidnappers. And there's been a lot of analysis and discussion since was that, well, she was being kidnapped. So perhaps she was just forced to make these statements. And there's another view that says that um, she was actually convinced to the cause of the uh, SLA, the Symbionese Liberation Army. But where KPFK comes into this is that some of those communiques were actually dropped off at the KPFK office, the KPFK building. And the FBI caught wind of it right, and raided KPFK and arrested the general manager at the time. Let, let us now hear just a, a, a short clip of one of those uh, communiques, and you will actually hear the voice of Patty Hearst, who was the heiress who was kidnapped. Let's go to that clip now. I would like to begin this statement by informing the public that I wrote what I'm about to say. It's what I feel. I've never been forced to say anything on any tape nor have I been brainwashed, drugged, tortured, hypnotized, or in any way confused. As George Jackson wrote, it's me, the way I want it, the way I see it. Mom, Dad, I would like to comment on your efforts to supposedly secure my safety. The people in need giveaway was a sham. You attempted to deceive the people, the SLA, and me with statements about your concern for myself and the people. You were playing games, stalling for time, time which the FBI was using in their attempts to assassinate me and the SLA elements which guarded me. Wow, <laughs> Patty Hearst, uh, with a message to her parents, a message that was dropped off at the KPFK office. And of course, the law enforcement, the FBI, didn't take these communiques and the fact that KPFK was playing them on the air um, really too kindly, and thus the on-air raid of KPFK. This is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. And today we are marking the 63rd birthday of KPFK. KPFK went on the air on July 26, 1959. It was the second of the Pacifica radio stations to go on the air. The first being Berkeley, California, KPFA uh, back in 1949. Pacifica a Network, of course, founded by the pacifist, uh, Lou Hill. Um, I'd like, uh, before we have to uh, wrap the show, for you to hear more uh, historic moments from uh, KPFK. And next, we're going to go to a clip where you'll hear the voice of uh, Lena Horn, and then you'll hear an introduction to Miriam McCaba. But guess what? 
a pitch for KPFK. Now, don't call the phone number that you're going to hear in, in this pitch because this was um, back, I think it was maybe 1968 or so, um, this uh, clip was recorded. And Lena Horne was blacklisted for a while in uh, in Hollywood, and she really found a home at KPFK. Uh, she spent time there and uh, really uh, helped to um, not only uh, promote KPFK, but of course, KPFK was very, very glad uh, to welcome her and give her voice during this time that she was blacklisted in Hollywood. Well, I would have called it whitelisted, but blacklisted is the term that was used. Let's go to that clip now. The nicest duty I have to perform all day today here at KPFK is to introduce Miriam Makiba a gracious lady, a magnificent talent, an electrifying personality. Live from my home, away from home, the Coconut Grove, the marvelous Miriam Makiba. And thank you, Lena. I'm Roger Lang, sitting ringside at the fabulous Coconut Grove at the Ambassador Hotel in downtown Los Angeles. Just a few minutes, the marvelous Miriam McCaba will be on stage. So quickly, before she goes on, fast your telephone. Dial 877-0526 or 985-7032 and subscribe to KPFK or make a contribution. You can earmark your contribution to KPFK for a series of live remote broadcasts just like this one if you'd like to. We'll be able to continue fine programming during 1968 if you do subscribe to KPFK. And you can do so right now. Quickly, the telephone numbers, 877-0526-985-7032. Here's Marion McKeever. All righty. Okay, uh, well, that was that was a lot of fun. You first heard uh, Lena Horn, and then you heard a pitch uh, for KPFK. This is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth, and we are marking the birthday of KPFK. 63 years on the air. If you go to kpfk.org, you can celebrate with us by helping uh, KPFK to continue um, for yet another 63 or more years. Um, just go to KPFK. K.org, and you can donate uh, just for, you know, $63, let's say, uh, marking 63 years, or you could donate $630 if, if you can. That's totally uh, tax deductible there. Or um, put a challenge out there for anybody who could donate $6,000. Uh, $300. Uh, again, go to kpfk.org to pledge your support. This is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. Now, fast forward, I would like to share with you um, some of the work from Sojourner Truth that we have added to the Pacifica Radio archives. And it's an interview I did with the late Tony Morrison. Uh, really, to me, an historic moment as well. Um, Toni Morrison being the international uh, person, national Pulitzer um, Nobel Prize winner that she was. Let's go to that clip now. You're listening to the Sojourner Truth edition of Morning Review, and we're having a discussion with 
Toni Morrison about her new book, Love. This is your host, Margaret Prescott. Now, your story is based around a Black-owned resort that some have equated with a Black-owned resort in American Beach, Florida. And the case has been made that the civil rights movement that opened the door for integration was in part responsible for the demise of a sector of Black-owned businesses in the Black community when segregation existed. Do you think there has been a demise or has there been a shift of that sector? And what do you think that has meant for those who have been left behind, so to speak, in the the more um, the inner city areas or, or the parts that are, are primarily uh, 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 still primarily Black or and other people of color? Well, there are a number of consequences of the civil rights movement. I just didn't want it to appear so simple that everybody just jumped on the wagon and said, let's go. Yeah. Because there were people who were frightened of it and alarmed by it, and they were people who had gone to those really first-rate black schools, and they had gone to Howard University's law school or School of Architecture or to Meharry Medical School or were entrepreneurs, and they serviced a fairly captive audience, which were other black people. And they were people that people were proud of, you know, the race men they were called, or race women. And they, but the interesting thing is that they sort of had to live together, you know, on the same street. The doctor lived next door to the sanitation worker who lived next door to the barber. So that the class division was not so overwhelming. You could see them. Then here comes the Civil Rights Movement, which was absolutely necessary and absolutely important. But it had some losses. People could then go vacation someplace else or go to some other school or move into other neighborhoods. And all I am suggesting is that that kind of leap forward progress, however difficult it was, um, has a loss. You pay a price for it. Every group that came to this country did. We just did it belatedly. You know, there are people who have told me that when the schools were integrated in their part of, a, say, a small town in the South, what happened was that the best black teachers left and went to the white school. Yes. And then we had years, you know, decades of black schools begging for money. They have revitalized themselves since then. But there was a dream from schools that had these first-rate reputations because other schools were vying for that population or students could choose whether to go you know, to one place or another. So I just wanted to complicate that story a little bit because I think some of it is still flopping around those questions, that debate in contemporary, in the contemporary world. Yes, and and in fact, I did want to ask you about that. I mean, it's it's wonderful, in fact, that you you addressed it. I mean, in love, several, if not all, the sectors, frankly, on the economic scale of society, are represented from those who live in dire poverty, from a, a place you call in the book the settlement, to factory workers, to maids, to cooks, to prostitutes, to owners, and the clash and the interrelationship of of those sectors. I mean, you show tremendous insight into the point 
point of view of all of these sectors, and you also show some sympathy for them. I wanted to just raise with you to just uh, compare that to what is happening in the black world today, in the black community today. Uh, do you see a change? Do you you see, I, th- I think from your previous answer, you're saying the sectors in, in some cases are further apart than they had been, and that this has been part of the impact of what is now a greatly expanded um, black middle class. Yeah, which moved out. Yeah. Moved someplace else. <laughs> <laughs> and left those neighborhoods for the people, you know, who had the fewest and the least resources. Uh, do the lawyers may still practice in those communities. They don't live there. But the problem for me was... Uh, Either or, if you chose integration and assimilation, why did that necessarily mean that you couldn't have um, the resources in black communities at the same time? That yes. Is, did you have to integrate or could you just bring the money into the schools where they were? Uh, did you have to, you know, it was never an either or situation. For me, it looked like there was one road only, and which we took, which was taken, and that had some, you know, peril involved in it. And we can still see the, you can still see it, you know, in neighborhoods, the authenticity of uh, the race culturally comes from the street, but the execution of the cultural forces in the academy, etc., uh, is assimilated. You have to translate, transfer those cultural uh, icons and mores and folklore into something else so that you have people who study black people, I mean black who study other blacks yes. <laughs> in order to say this is what it is, which is, I'm not denigrating any of this, I'm just talking about the shift. But I think now there's also a call or an awareness of um, that part of the cultural life of the black community that one lost, that we lost, even in the more radical days of the civil rights movement. There were people who were black nationalists who were screaming for exactly what Bill Cozy had, black businesses, black patronizing each other, living separately from white people, I mean, choosing to live separately from white people, having your own stuff. But during the height of the movement, there was the other side of it, which was also, you know, assimilation. It's a very complex thing, and I think it is the main theme of the acquisition of full democratic rights in this country. It can always be viewed through the glass, the magnifying glass, when you look at what happens to black people. Wow. 
And it was my honor, really, to interview Toni Morrison. You likely heard the bit of difference in my voice back then uh, than uh, right now. That was quite some time ago, and it really has been such a pleasure. Um, I also did, along with Amy Goodman and Democracy Now!, the first sit-down interview in the United States that the late Hugo Chavez, president of the Bolivar Republic of Venezuela, um, uh, did that was uh, quite a moment in and of itself. And of course, a couple of interviews with Harry Belafonte and others. But you know what? Um, the, the Pacifica Radio Archives has all of this information. There's nothing like the Pacifica Radio Archives. And um, Dr. Gerald Horn, um, in the fire this time, the Watts Uprising in the 1960s, in that book, he says the archives of Pacifica Radio must be consulted by anyone conducting research on post-World War II history. And today we are marking the birthday of KPFK, 63 years. You could celebrate with us by going to kpfk.org and um, pledging your continued support for KPFK, uh, $63, $630, $6,300, $25, whatever you would like to show that you are celebrating with us here on Sojourner Truth as we do this special show, and we're going to be wrapping up this special show, uh, marking KPFK's birthday. A very, very happy birthday to KPFK, and a very, very happy uh, thank you to all of the KPFK listeners now and, and over the years. Uh, any of you who are listening now who are around when Pacifica began, uh, please, you could email us at sojournertruthradio uh, at gmail.com and let us know your information or you can post uh, congratulations on the KPFK website or on the Sojourner uh, Truth uh, um, Facebook page. Uh, so again, KPFK, happy 63rd birthday. And let us go now to very quickly to one other, I want to squeeze in one other historic moment. Uh, this is Pacifica Radio, but it was also on our airways here, KPFK, um, of the Mississippi police, a confrontation with the Mississippi police. Let's go to that clip now. The deputy closed our conversation saying he had to get on. And he did. We started back to finish photographing the ruins when we saw another car pull up and stop. In it were three men. After stopping, the second car pulled into the clearing by another entrance and stopped again. Its occupants, we knew, were not reporters, at least none that we had seen in town. The car stopped, the three men got out, and began to walk toward us. We had, by then, not only heard much about the close liaison and cooperation between Mississippi's law enforcement agencies and such organizations as the White Citizens Councils and the Ku Klux Klan, but had some disquieting first-hand experience with it. Mississippi state agencies and their friends apparently have a sizable dossier on Pacifica and its employees. Okay, a sizable dossier on Pacifica Radio and its employees. Well... I guess I don't want to know what they have on me. This is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. I want to thank you for listening to this special show marking the birthday, the 63rd birthday of KPFK. And uh, I would like to thank 
uh, Mark Torres of the Pacifica Radio Archives uh, for his help with uh, today's show. Remember, you can go to the archives to get a lot of this historic material. I'd like to thank our engineer today, Gary Baca. I'd like to thank our assistant producer, Alicia Vargas. Today's show produced by me. That's Margaret Prescott. If you'd like a copy of today's show, please go to, you can contact the Pacifica Radio Archives at 818-985-2711 or 1-800-735-0230 or go online to pacificaradioarchives.org. Please stay tuned for Democracy Now! Sojourner Truth will be back on the air tomorrow and I'm hoping that we have which side are you on that was sung by the movement in Mississippi as we wrap up this show, this special show. Happy birthday, KPFK. Come gather around people wherever you roam And admit that the waters around you have grown And accept it that soon you'll be drenched to the bone If your time, women, or you'll sink like a stone Or the times they are a-changing 